0: I'm going to take a lot of notes on the mysteries. Oh,
1: highly encouraged. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm already taking notes. Right now it says Mike and Brandon. <laughs> ah. Those are my notes so far.
0: Get Ian. Ian, you want to get that down there
1: too. I know you, Ian. You're the charity I'm playing for. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our quarters and we go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert. I'm terrible at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am the judge of this show, and I let others solve the mysteries instead. Our contestants this week are the former co-hosts of the tragically now-defunct podcast, How to Do Everything, Mike Danforth and Ian Shellag. Mike and Ian, how's it going? Hey, Mike.
0: I'm good. I mean, the tragically defunct brought back some memories. But overall, I'm good.
2: Let the record show you did request that I say those specific words, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, it was one of my favorite podcasts that exist. Of course, I found it after it already had gone away. So it was just sad when I was listening on my podcast app, it had like the little red number of total episodes. And then every time I would listen, it would just get smaller and smaller. So I am <laughs> sad that it's gone, but it was a fun time while it was there. Wasn't it, folks? Oh, thank you. Thanks for saying that, Mike. You don't have to say that, but thanks. <laughs> I genuinely, I think it's a great show. I think everyone, even though it's gone, you can, you know, go through a fun little time travel from the mid what I don't even know what the mid 2010s are called. There's not like a fun name like the aughts for it, is there? I tried to get Odolios to happen. Mmm. But it pretty
0: much just caught on with myself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to to bring the Odileo mantle into the forefront and, and make that happen. But this game show is for charity. You two will be playing for charities. So, Ian, which charity will you be playing for today? I'm going to play for Water Drop
0: LA, which provides clean water for unhoused people.
2: And yeah, they're good people. That's fantastic. How about you, Mike?
1: I'm going to play for the Breast Cancer Foundation Susan G. Komen.
2: Okay, that's great. I love it. Two great organizations. So here is how the game will work. I'll be recapping four quick mysteries from the esteemed children's novel series Encyclopedia Brown. Hopefully neither of you have read them ahead of time, or at least if you did, it was long ago that you don't remember it. I'll lay out all the clues, I'll ask for your accusations, and each correct guess will earn you points. But there's also bonus points at stake. If your guess matches my incorrect guess when I was taking notes for the show, you'll get a Misery Loves Company bonus point. And if you do anything fun, just a particularly wild guess, I know you do very much enjoy throwing banter back and forth at each other. Any good burn or dig that's encouraged it's 2021 and the world's not great so anything that makes me chuckle is uh worthy of a bonus point here something about that i
0: really felt a lot of pressure <laughs> to say so, but like everything i thought about like any kind of dig it was just really it was just mike's a bad person like i couldn't <laughs> nothing yeah real natural
2: came gonna have to be a little more creative for for bonus <laughs> point territory but your head's in the right space at the end whoever has the most points will earn money for their charity but with all that being laid out, we can put the pedal to the metal and get ready to solve some mysteries. But do either of you have mystery experience or were you big readers or viewers of mystery programs growing up?
1: I love mystery programs, but I've never read Encyclopedia
2: Brown. Mm. And was that a TV show too? Was there a TV show based on that? I don't think they made an exact Encyclopedia Brown TV show, but I know there is a recent series called Kid Detective, which I think is highly inspired by Encyclopedia Brown and it's about him growing up and becoming an adult detective. I think it's like very much Encyclopedia Brown without legally saying it in the title, but I don't know if there's ever been a direct TV show. Okay, And if there is, I want to watch it because I love Encyclopedia Brown. Oh, right on. I'll tell you, I really loved Encyclopedia
0: Brown too, but I've had one stuck in my craw for, I guess, 30 years now. There's I remember the solution. I don't remember the mystery, but I remember getting to the solution and being so mad that there were no, there had been no clues. It was just like deus ex machina, Encyclopedia Brown, (laughs) that you learned, a. I guess there was a missing penny and the solution was it was hidden under the mustard on a hot dog. Mm. And I I was so, I'm still mad. (laughs) It might have been the first time I was ever mad. And I'm still mad.
2: <laughs> well, thankfully, all the ones that I've selected are ones that are completely legitimate and the clues are, are fair and not just Deus Ex Encyclopedia, Thank as you have you. brought up. So they're all legit. There's no penny under the mustard. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. So the first mystery that we will be solving here is the case of the disgusting sneakers. To put it into context, Encyclopedia Brown takes place in a fictional town in Florida called Idaville. So this might make a little more sense when I say that the opening line of this mystery is, on the day of the disgusting sneaker contest, Phoebe Eastwood, last year's disgusting sneaker contest champion, walked into the Brown Detective Agency. So there is a contest basically for who can have the most disgusting shoes in town. That is what's at stake here. Okay. Got it. But thankfully, the narrator notes that she has on shoes, one is disgusting and one is not. So the narrator says, quote, Encyclopedia immediately knew that something was afoot. (laughs) (laughs) She had been wearing the same pair of shoes all year. And she says to Encyclopedia that someone stole her right shoe, which was the more disgusting of her two shoes right before the competition. So she wants to hire Encyclopedia to figure out who stole her disgusting shoe. She notes that it had two large holes in the front, and the narrator describes it saying as her toes poked through like stunned tadpoles, which is just some wonderful wordsmithery from author Donald J. Sobel here. (laughs) Now, Encyclopedia Brown, understandably, is not very excited to take on this case, but he is a man of principle. His internal monologue is described as saying all at once Encyclopedia Brown wished that he was anywhere else, like somersaulting down a ski jump. Which does feel like a bad situation to be in. I'm just gonna, in my notepad here, I'm
1: gonna keep a simile count. And <laughs> yeah. We're at two. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's just
2: absolutely riddled with them. It's fantastic.
1: Summer salting down a ski slope sounds like an accident. Is that him being sly about how terrible? Or actually, I don't understand how that is something that would be preferable.
2: I think he's just saying that this situation is so bad that he has to solve a case centered around smelly shoes that he'd rather do something terrible, such as somersaulting down a ski jump. Got it. So privileged has Encyclopedia Brown's
0: <laughs> life been that the worst thing he can think of is somersaulting down a ski jump.
1: The worst thing he could think of is being an awesome skier. <laughs>
2: So Phoebe explains the whole crime. She says about an hour ago, I was sitting in my garage, clipping my toenails, the ones that show through my sneaker. The door was open and I noticed a girl running across my yard. Sally, who is Encyclopedia Brown's partner in the detective agency, asks, who was it? And Phoebe says that she doesn't know. She only saw her back, but I saw her carrying and running off with my sneaker. Sally's first thought is that it's probably someone in the contest. They know that you won last year. You're the top competition. Let's knock you out. So their thought is we should go to the contest, which is happening in a couple hours, and we should see if anyone there has stolen your shoe. Encyclopedia Brown's still not excited about this. The narrator describes this as saying, Encyclopedia Brown cared less than zero about (laughs) getting up close and personal with the rottenest sneakers in Idaville, Florida. Yeah. I'm counting less than zero as a simile, by the way. Yeah, I think it works. I think it works. While they're riding their bikes over, Phoebe explains how this contest exists slash why it exists. Apparently it's a charity event. So they have entrance fees and sponsors and they raise money for charity. Thank goodness, because otherwise, why should this thing exist? (laughs) But the contest has two rules. First off, the sneakers have to belong to the child contestant whose feet were in them. So it has to be their shoes that they wore themselves. And the damage caused to the shoes has to just be from normal wear and tear. You can't do any other sort of damage to your shoes. The judges grade the sneakers on a scale of 1 to 20, looking at the eyelets, tongues, soles, heels, and overall shoe condition. (laughs) These are the categories of the disgusting sneaker contest.
0: 20 being most disgusting or least disgusting?
2: Most disgusting is a 20. Okay. I get it. (laughs) So as the three of them show up, the judging is just about to start, and Phoebe's classmate, Anne, she comes running over to them. She says that she was worried that something happened to Phoebe. And Phoebe says, yeah, something did. Someone stole my right sneaker while I was clipping my nails. Sally immediately wants to look for Bugs Meenie, who is the local town bully, because gotta be public enemy suspect number one. But he's already been kicked out of the competition because the judges determined that he took a weed whacker to his shoes. Mm. So he's already been removed. Can we just, I'm sorry, but. I feel like with a name like Bugs Meanie, you didn't have any choice but to become the town bully. No, you're setting yourself up for failure right there. He's also a victim. (laughs) There's some sort of psychological thing. I can't remember the name of it, but there's a thing where like if your last name is a certain profession, you are more likely to become that profession. Yeah. So if your last name is painter, you're more likely to become an artist. So I guess with the last name Meanie, you're just bound to become a bully when you're 11 years old. We did a thing on our show. Danny, that I think people with initials
0: that spelled out bad words had statistically significant poorer life outcomes. Like if your initials were ASS, you would have like lower lifetime income. And then there was something that that a statistically significant, like people named Dennis were more likely to become dentists
2: than other people. (laughs) I guess there's just a nice ring to Dennis the dentist. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny with the life expectancy thing. I, maybe there's just a correlation between getting bullied relentlessly in school yeah. and life expectancy. Because I feel like the only time embarrassing middle names and initials come up is inevitably in third grade when you have to do some sort of project and everyone learns that your middle name is, you know, Gertrude and everyone starts making fun of you for it. Or that, yeah, your initials spell ass. <laughs> like, I don't I don't think there's ever been a time where I've signed a legal document and I put my initials and then the person behind was like... <laughs> (laughs) this fucking guy (laughs) your initials are
1: butt come on well is bugs a nickname or is that short for something is bugs another version of margaret oh is that a nickname (laughs) for one of those
2: types of names they never clarify the only thing we know about bugs is that he's very rude he's the leader of his gang called the tigers and he wears a crown at least in the illustrations his accessory of choice Is a crown. It kind of looks like one of those paper Christmas cracker things from the UK. Mm -hmm. He wears that, at least in the first 17 Encyclopedia Brown books that I've read. And in this 18th one, which I've done for this series, he has switched to a backwards hat. So this one was written in 1995. Maybe they decided, oh, we got to be with the times backwards hat time now. I get it. So he's already been kicked out. Sally is thankful that he has because apparently he'd been bragging all week that he was going to be a shoe in eh, to win. Ooh, yeah. He should have been disqualified for the pun alone. So Anne says that she has already been judged. She is currently in the lead and there are a bunch of people left to get judged. Most notably, Stinky Redmond, again, living up to his name, like he's identified as top competition, Stinky Redmond and Tessie Bottoms. Oh, man. This is a slippery slope. If we're going to start talking
1: about how Meanie is mean, stinky stinks, what do we conclude about Tessie
2: Bottoms? Anything? She is the eighth grade bully and no one likes her, as the narrator describes. So uh, that's what we've got to go on. So Tessie Bottoms goes up to get judged. She gets 17 points out of 20, which puts her in the lead. And she struts over to Phoebe, talking smack. Her smack talk insult of choice is... Top that, kiddo, which feels like she could have done better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Anne immediately comes to Phoebe's defense saying, knock it off, Tessie. Phoebe's not even entered in the contest this year. Someone stole her right sneaker while she was clipping her toenails. Tessie replies with, if she ever learns what socks are for, she won't have to worry about her toenails, which I don't know how Tessie became the eighth grade bully. because She does not seem very good at bullying, like over two on the insults here. That's like you're a bad person level <laughs> bullying. <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Can we take a minute, though, to celebrate the uh, confidence that all these junior high kids have that they're talking a about cutting their toenails openly? Those are the most cruel years for kids, right? And we already know that this one girl's talking about clipping her toenails. They're celebrating how terrible their feet and shoes smell. And no one's being
2: ostracized for that. They're actually getting rewarded for it and it's charitable they're indirectly raising money for charity through this process yeah and it just feels like a bad situation especially for people in middle school they're all 11 years old or some of these people are older but the main characters are 11 i remember blowing through shoes at that age just because i was growing yeah so to have the same pair of shoes for an entire year in fifth grade feels like that could be detrimental to the foot health of idaville florida oh yeah like it doesn't seem a good practice a lot of cramped toes in idaville. truly. So suddenly there's a big fuss at the judge's table because Mrs. Carstairs, one of the judges. She swoons and faints and can't continue. And as she's being helped away, she says, you've got to smell this contest to believe it. I should have brought a gas mask. (laughs) So very intense at the disgusting sneaker competition. Sally then remarks, maybe the judges should be the one winning the prizes. Mm -hmm. So then Stinky Redman gets called up. Sally says that maybe Stinky did it. He could have been disguised as a girl. Maybe he had a wig and a dress on and stuff like that. We can't necessarily rule him out just because he's a boy. He puts his shoes on the table and then shoots a darting stare at Tessie. Now, Phoebe thinks that this is suspicious because if he was going to stare down anyone, it should be Phoebe, who is the top competition that everyone's afraid of. And Phoebe hasn't told everybody that she's not entered this year. So she thinks it's odd that he's basically ignoring her Without having known that she's not in the competition. Mm. So maybe he already knows she's not in it because he stole the shoes and thinks that sounds convincing. Sally thinks that sounds convincing, but Encyclopedia Brown is deep in thought. And at three o'clock that afternoon, when the winners are announced, Stinky comes in first place. Tessie comes in second place. And Anne comes in third place. But Encyclopedia Brown goes up to the winner's circle and stops the prizes from being given away because he accuses the thief of stealing Phoebe's shoes and he's able to correctly deduce it. But I turn it over to the two of you. Who do you think is behind the shoe theft? Oh, baby.
1: Anne, who got
2: third place is a friend of Phoebe's, right? It says she's a classmate. Oh, okay. I don't know if that's supposed to go either way. All it says is classmate, but she is at least acting nice towards Phoebe. And she was the first one to come up to Phoebe because she was concerned, right? And Phoebe told her what was happening. Exactly. And was like, I was wondering where you were. Like, why weren't you already at the competition? I was afraid something happened. Mm-hmm. Tessie's in second place. Stinky won. Of course he did. With a name like Stinky.
1: Bugs Meenie was disqualified. He's not even
2: a factor. So he's not even on the the list of people, right? He's at least not at the dais, and he wasn't at the competition at all. They didn't even see him. He had been removed from the competition before the detectives even arrived. He had been kicked out already. Got it. All right. I'm going to write down who I think it is. Put it in an envelope, mail it to me. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, Ian, do you want to go? Should we go one, two, three? Yeah, that's fun. Full name? Yes. Okay.
2: Full name. Here we go. One, two, three. Tessie, Tessie, Tessie bottoms. bottoms. Ooh. all right. So you both have the same guess, but what led you to this decision? I'm picturing a conspiracy. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That Stinky was aware of, but not in charge of. Ah, It's not fair. I'm going on Tessie's reputation. Valid. I saw no specific clues leading, but it seems like she had the most to gain. She'd shown this kind of behavior in the past and others uh, were somewhat suspicious of her. So that's what led me to Tessie.
2: Okay.
1: What I would say Ian about Tessie, one thing that does indicate maybe a flaw in her character is that when she won, she wasn't magnanimous in defeat or when she, you know, got the score that she got, 17 out of 20, she turned to Phoebe who we knew was having trouble. What she said to Phoebe was "top that." She has a propensity for cruelty. So the fact that she was mean and then Stinky looked at her, Mm. there's definitely something going on between the two of them, but I don't think Stinky, who wins,
2: I don't think he's the one who did it. I think the trigger man is, is Tessie Bottoms. Now, I have to say, these are great theories. I love the conspiracy theory thought, but unfortunately, you're both incorrect. What? The culprit was Anne, and the giveaway is that when she comes to Phoebe's defense, she says to Tessie, leave her alone. She got her shoe stolen while she was clipping her toenails. But when Phoebe told Anne what happened, she just said, I was clipping my nails. She didn't qualify that she was clipping her toenails. So the only way that Anne would have known that she was clipping her toenails is if she saw it when she stole the shoe.
0: Well, I've I've just been picturing Phoebe. With uh, beautifully groomed nails through the whole story, a real a French manicure. So I just didn't even, it didn't even occur to me.
2: My question is what's Anne's last name? I didn't think it was particularly telling, but yeah, maybe her last name is Anne Shoe Thief.
1: Yeah, I mean, everybody else's last name has some sort of character trait assigned to it. Mike, how do we know you're not in on this? That's a key piece of information.
0: Oh, Mike Crafty,
2: host. <laughs> Mike Crafty. Her name is Anne Little. Ann Little. Okay. I have awarded you each a bonus point for the conspiracy theory, and I did just give Ian a point for calling me Mike Crafty Host. <laughs> <laughs> so, at the end of the first round, Ian has a very slight lead. Two to one. Oh. All right. I think I get it now. I feel like I understand what we're up against here. Yeah. There's a level of detail.
0: Yeah. I I feel both more confident and more anxious Yeah, moving into the next mystery.
2: The exact energy we're looking for here. So we get into the next mystery, the case of the smuggler's secret. Now, this mystery, I will say, has a very different aura from the stinky shoe competition <laughs> because Encyclopedia Brown and his friend Charlie Stewart are camping, And they are woken up in the morning by the sound of falling rain, but also a helicopter landing in a clearing nearby where their campsite is. Are these human smugglers? Thankfully, no. That would be a different tone. Vastly different tone. That's for the Encyclopedia Brown (laughs) gritty reboot when he's older. But for now, you'll see what they're smuggling and it's far less severe. Okay. So this helicopter lands in a muddy clearing. The boys naturally go to see what's up and they hide behind some trees. A gray van drives up and a driver gets out. And the pilot gets out of the helicopter. They move three large boxes from the helicopter to the gray van. They shake hands. The pilot takes off and the driver tries to drive off, but because he's in mud, the wheels on his van just keep spinning. So he heads over To the woods where Encyclopedia Brown and Charlie are hiding. So they run away because he's going to get like a stick to put under the tire to get out of the mud. I've never had to do this, but the narrator says that's what he's doing. And I believe the narrator. They run away and their plan is to go home to tell Encyclopedia Brown's father, who is the chief of police, conveniently, they are going to tell him what's going on. But as they're riding their bikes home, they see the van drive. So they decide, well, let's just follow the van. We're 11-year-olds. This is fine. So they chase after the van on their bikes, and the van turns into an alleyway, always a good sign, and it stops at the rear entrance to R.C. Duggan's Import-Export Shop, which I guess is like the kid's book way of saying that it stopped at a pawn shop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the driver... And a large, dark-haired man unload the boxes. No one is named here. Just a large man with dark hair. They unload the boxes and Encyclopedia Brown and Charlie are hiding behind a dumpster. And then the big man says, that does it. Ditch the van and get back here. So the driver drives off with the van and then the dark-haired man goes back into the import-export store once he goes back into the store, Encyclopedia Brown says, let's take a peek. So they go inside to see what's up. They slip through the door and enter the storeroom and they see the three large boxes. They're against a wall and each box has a shipping label on it in Spanish that says that they were shipped from Peru and they are addressed to an address in Spain. So Encyclopedia Brown opens one of the boxes and inside, thankfully, it's just old pots. Ah, pot smuggler. (laughs) Since Encyclopedia Brown, I guess, is well-versed in pottery, he notes that they look like ancient native South American pots. But he says that he thinks they're copies. And what led him to this conclusion is that on the bottom of each pot, the word copy is painted on. (laughs) (laughs) So it says copy, but it's painted on in some sort of substance that easily rubs off. Like He rubs his finger on it and it just comes off. Each pot in the box has this on the bottom of it, and each of the three boxes is just filled with these old pots that say "copy" in the bottom.
0: It's a real turn in Encyclopedia Brown's character, who, who ran away at the first hint of danger in the woods, but now that he's at CC Duggins, what's it? RC Duggins. RC RC Duggins. He's he seems to be in a lot more danger from what I could tell, but he's like he's going so far as to remove these pots and rub them.
1: Yeah. Well, there are two of them. He is with Charlie. And
2: for all we know, Charlie could be 40. So Charlie Stewart is a kid in town. We do have some backstory. He collects teeth for fun. Oh. So maybe Charlie is so creepy that he's not afraid of anything. Like, if you've got Charlie, you're fine. Yeah. Because if you're comfortable with the tooth collector guy, what's there to be afraid of? It's not creepy when the tooth fairy does it. It's
0: fine. <laughs>
1: That is true. No, that's true. But when an eighth grader does it, then it's like, it's future serial killer here. Yeah. Yeah, It's young Hannibal Charlie Lecter.
0: So many of those things. Like if you caught me hiding eggs in your yard on Easter,
2: that'd be weird. (laughs) (laughs) Ian? Ian? What are you doing? (laughs) Uh, So... Charlie thinks he knows what's up. He thinks that someone is smuggling fake old pots, and when they arrive in Spain, the word copy will just be wiped off, and then someone buying them will think they're buying authentic pots, these 3,000-year-old pots, but really, they're buying copies. So the boys sneak away, and Encyclopedia Brown is deep in thought the whole time, trying to think what's up. He's confused because he says, if Charlie's right, why are they being so secretive about this? If it's just to make money off of fake pots, why do you have to bother with helicopters and secret boxes and backstories etc. But then it hits him what the truth is. So I turn to the two of you. What's the truth?
1: Oh, yeah. Copy is
2: in English, right? Yes. It says the word copy, C-O-P-Y. But the pots are from Peru? They're from Peru, and they are on their way to Spain.
0: Stopping in Florida. Naturally. To be sold at an import-export. Mm. And there's three boxes. And the question is, why all the fuss over fake pots?
1: Oh. I think copy is the key. Yeah. Feels like Mm. C-O-P-Y. If you flip it upside down, (laughs) I don't think that does anything. I don't think it means anything backwards. Ah, well, here.
0: Okay, so copy could be broken down into C-O-P and Y. Y is and in Spanish. So it could spell cop and robbers. Proving they're
1: robbers. <laughs> this is tricky. There's nothing in the pots. There's only something on the bottom of the pots and it comes off too easily. Correct.
0: Crap. Well, I'm just going to say, given the tone of this particular encyclopedia Brown mystery, my guess is that the uh, pots were made of cocaine. All right. And uh, this, was, this was a huge shipment of cocaine. Okay. I dig it. Mike, do you have a guess? Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Oh, mm. go ahead, Jilly. Where was the helicopter coming from? Because a helicopter
2: trip from Peru to Florida, that's a, that's a long way for a chopper. Yeah, it is. It doesn't say where it's coming from. It just lands in fictional Idaville, Florida, which we, all we know is that it's a coastal town. We don't know where in Florida it is, but there is a beach.
1: Okay. And I'm sorry, could you tell us again what happened right before you told us what happened?
2: Before you turned it to us, what was the thing you said? Oh, that Encyclopedia Brown is thinking and his thought process is, if what Charlie is saying is right, that they're just trying to get them to Spain to wipe off the word copy and then pretend that they are actually old school pots, but they're really fake pots. Why is this so secretive? What's the point? And then Encyclopedia Brown realizes what actually is going on.
1: Ah, they're not copies. And that's why it's so easy for copy to be scrubbed off of them. They are ancient pots. Okay. That's what it is.
0: Oh, so copy is a misdirection.
1: Yeah, it's a misdirection because who would write copy except the big guy, the, the dark
2: haired thug, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> Okay, I'm happy to say, Mike, you are correct. Yeah, that's That's good. exactly what it is. The giveaway is that copy was written in English. Mm-hmm. So if they started in Peru and they were meant to go to Spain, it would have said copia on it, the Spanish word for copy, if that's really what it was. So clearly the whole plan all along was to sell these in this place in Florida. And they actually are legitimately real old school pots, but the reason that they have copy on them is that if it got picked up in customs or something or someone investigated in Florida where they were planning on selling them, they would think and hope that the investigators are less intelligent than 11-year-old Encyclopedia Brown, who is incredibly smart. But the thought is that they'll see the word copy and they'll be like, ah, yes, they're copies. So uh, yes, that was the key. But I did give you some bonus points, Ian. I loved the cop e robbers. I thought that was very fun, so that definitely earned you a bonus point. So the score at the end of this second round, Mike now has a very slight lead of four to three. Oh Ooh. that was a good sleuthing, Mike. thanks. I'm sorry. I took a
1: I had to go back and unravel a few things. i hope I hope maybe you could learn from that Ian.
0: <laughs> I still think. It was an overcomplicated plan by the smugglers. I still think they could have found a simpler way to do what they needed to do. But that's that's on them.
1: I got to say though, I bought a pot recently for a plant and it was like 3 bucks, <laughs> right? And it was a good sized pot. That's a lot of overhead cuz a helicopter flight isn't cheap. No, right? I don't know, maybe there's an industry there. Maybe they're maybe they're making a big return on those
2: things. So the solution said that they stole them from a museum and they were selling them to people. They were going to sell them as authentic old school pots, they just weren't going to tell people like, hello, we stole these from a Peruvian museum. Ian, I forgot to mention, I did give you another bonus point. You earned the Misery Loves Company bonus point with your guess of, I don't know, is it cocaine? I had no idea what was going on. So I said, I don't know, is the clay valuable? Like, can they melt the pots? Like, so that was my guess. So uh, yeah, it's actually four to four. Oh, all right. I like that scene where Encyclopedia Brown reaches in,
1: sticks his finger in there and then rubs his gums. It's like, yeah, Hold on Charlie, this is this shit runs deep. We're not safe. We gotta get out of here.
2: Just kidding, it's now five to four. Mike got a bonus point for uh, gritty cocaine checking (laughs) encyclopedia perhaps. This episode of Meddling Adults is brought to you by Encyclopedia Womanica. For far too long, history lessons have glossed over the truly essential contributions that women have made to history. I agree with this. I never enjoyed history class when I was in school. I felt like it was boring. It was this whitewashed version of history. And I don't feel like I learned enough about impactful women, but that is where Encyclopedia Womanica comes in. This podcast aims to change the narrative by introducing the groundbreaking women from antiquity to today who have shaped our society. This month is Women's History Month, and Encyclopedia Womanica is highlighting women in the driver's seat, women who were in charge and at the top of their fields. Each weekday, host Jenny Kaplan dives into the trials, tragedies, and triumphs of this diverse group. You can learn the life stories of fashion and beauty icons like Estee Lauder. I do know these names, but just because of their brands and not necessarily what they do. So I'm going to listen to this because I would love to learn more. They also will teach you about Wall Street executives like Maggie Lena Walker, who was the first woman to own a bank in the United States bite-sized episodes pack painstakingly researched content into fun, entertaining, and addictive daily adventures. You may or may not already know these women, but you definitely should. And if you've heard of them, you can learn more. So subscribe to Encyclopedia Womanica wherever you get your podcasts. And this episode of Meddling Adults is also brought to you by Magic Spoon. If you're anything like me, your hunger seems to kick in at exactly the wrong times, so like two minutes before a Zoom call, five minutes before you have to leave to go somewhere. So if you want some delicious food in a quick way that is also nutritious, you 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 can have a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal. In addition to tasting great, Magic Spoon is good for you. It has 0 grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only 4 net grams of carbs in each serving. And it's only 140 calories per serving. It is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. And there's exciting news. Magic Spoon will be releasing two amazing new flavors this month, March, for a limited time only. We're talking about cookies and cream and maple waffle. And if that isn't the most comforting indulgent combination possible, then I don't know what is. It's the ultimate treat yourself combo. So make sure that you get some while you can for a limited time or build your own box. They have available flavors to build your very own custom bundle. Those flavors are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, and cinnamon. And if you're listening from Canada, Magic Spoon now ships there as well. I've had Magic Spoon cereals for breakfast. I've had them as a dessert treat. I've had them in the, oh crap, I don't have much time. Let me just have a handful or two of dry cereal before I hop on this call. It's great in all of these situations. I highly recommend. Mixing the flavors is also very fun. Recommended as well. So you can go to magicspoon.com/meddling to grab the new limited edition cookies and cream maple waffle or a custom bundle of cereal to try it today. And be sure to use our promo code meddling at checkout and save five dollars off your order. This offer is now good anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use our code at checkout. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100 happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash meddling and use the code meddling to save $5 off. And thanks, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. And let's get back to that episode. Oh, baby. So let's get into the third mystery, the case of the fireflies. A French resident of Idaville, Florida, Fanchon Dubois, enters the Brown Detective Agency, She was born in France, and she is into flies. That's her hobby is flies. She was known on the block in Idaville as French Fanny, the female fly catcher. Mm -hmm. She comes in and just blurts straight up, Bugs mean stole my fireflies. And Encyclopedia Brown just says, oh boy, Bugs never quits. What I've noticed with this, this is from the 19th Encyclopedia Brown book. Donald Sobel has been writing these books at this point for 30 years. In this story in particular, I think he's just reached, I'm tired of this shit, because (laughs) usually there's, like, creative buildup to the mystery and lavish descriptions and stuff like that, (laughs) like all the similes that we had in the previous one that came from the book prior. Oh, yeah. But in this one, it's just, like, straight to the case. She just says, bug stole my fireflies, and Encyclopedia's like, oh, no. (laughs) Like, that's it. Just to
0: understand her character, because for me... Being into flies and being into fireflies, thats ve- they're very different.
2: Yep. I don't know. I guess she's just into small insects, maybe? Anything. Okay. Or maybe it's anything with fly in the name she really likes. Her favorite movie is Jeff Goldblum's The Fly. Sure. She's so upset that Firefly got canceled. Mm. Her favorite music artist is Owl City. Just a- anything involving Firefly, she's here for it. Got it. So... The narrator describes, as they always do in Bugs Meanie centric mysteries, the narrator always says something like, Bugs Meanie was the leader of a gang called the Tigers. And then there's always, but Encyclopedia Brown thought that they should be called blank. And it's usually this creative thing of like, they should have been called whatever. But this time, it's nothing creative. It's just... In Encyclopedia's opinion, they should have called themselves the shoelaces when they weren't tied up cheating little kids. They were at loose ends. Wow. I, like, he he has to do one of these every single book. And I guess by 19, he's like, I don't know, man. Yeah. yeah. They're shoelaces. Why did I sign a 19 book contract? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: That's a terrible idea. I like the idea, though, that it's not the author who's tired, but it's actually Encyclopedia Brown, who's just like, look. I've had to solve every damn mystery in Idaville <laughs> for 19 years.
2: And I'm still 11 years old. I don't <laughs> age.
1: They're called the tigers, but I think, sit down, Charlie, get ready. This is worth <laughs> it. They should have been called.
2: So Fanshawn explains that 10 minutes ago, I was running down Brickle Avenue with a can of fireflies. Bugs Meany stopped me and he asked, what's the big hurry? I told him I had three minutes to mail off my fireflies before the post office closed. Encyclopedia Brown asks who she's mailing fireflies to. And she says that there is a company in Texas that has 700 kids in 20 different states catching fireflies. The company gives the kids nets and a special storage can that kills and dries the fireflies. And these kids are paid a penny for each firefly. This book was written in 1995. This feels like a giant child labor law violation. Yikes.
0: We're going to force children to kill the most magical creature they can
2: find. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But don't worry. We'll compensate them by giving them free nets and also a penny. Free nets, you say. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you guys as fellow podcasters get this. You'll get an Instagram DM from random company that wants you to promote their business. And they're like, we'll send you one free coaster and we'll pay you half of a cent for everyone that uses your custom link. Like, uh, no, thank you, sir. No, I have enough mouse pads. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> So it's like the Brown asks if Bugs just stole the can from her straight up. And she says, not right away. First, he laughed and said that little girls shouldn't play with fireflies. So yay, misogynistic, Bugs meanie. That upset her and she lost her temper. And then like adult, I told him the fireflies were worth a penny apiece. And that made dollar signs light up in his eyes and he stole the can. I'm surprised. Are you guys surprised that the person
1: whose hobby and love is flies. She's super into flies, yet she's participating in an operation that kills them Mm -hmm. by putting them in a container and then ships them to some guy. Like, I didn't realize that she was like a taxidermist with flies. I assumed she was someone who liked them like, you like butterflies. You have a whole room filled with them, right?
0: Yeah, whatever happens with this mystery, somebody needs to look at her. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there's something else going on there. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to feel like Charlie's not the
2: weirdest person in Idaho anymore <laughs> with his teeth. <laughs> yeah. So Fanshawn wants Encyclopedia Brown to get them back. She says there's no way that he was able to mail them off to the post office in time, or I guess figure out what address to mail them to, so she's convinced that he still has them. So they head on over to the... Tiger's Clubhouse, which is in a shed behind an auto parts store in Idaville. And while they are riding their bikes over there, Encyclopedia Brown, living up to his name, just starts spitting lightning bug facts, just starts saying fun stuff about fireflies. He says that male fireflies light up to let the females know that they are around. And the female fireflies wait in bushes or tall grass and then flash their light to say that they are interested, which seems like a nice policy. He also says that he read up about that company in Texas that sends the cans and the nets. And when the cans are full, you mail them to the person in Texas. And then part of the Firefly, the part that lights up, is then sold to hospitals and laboratories for medical purposes. I have no idea if this is real, but it makes me feel slightly better about what they're doing, because at least it feels somewhat altruistic. But I don't know that I buy it. I've never heard of that. But uh, yeah, I I apologize
1: for... What I said earlier about Dubois. Oh, I have heard of this. In fact, I think that's how they get the uh, Fireflyzer vaccine. Mm. Bonus point for the pun. Amazing. Six to four. Yeah, that's right, Ian. (laughs) Bonus point for the pun. That's an addition, (laughs) not subtraction.
0: Actually, I have our our friendship scoreboard here, and I
2: subtracted a point from you. God damn it. (laughs) All right. That's fine. But you have earned a bonus point for bringing up the friendship scoreboard. Very important that that gets brought into play. (laughs) I like that that being in the mix. I knew the risks. (laughs) So Fanchon says, good golly, Encyclopedia. Is there anything you don't know? And he doesn't say this, but I said this at my book. I screamed, his name is Encyclopedia. He wouldn't have earned that nickname if he only knew some stuff. Like he's not thesaurus Brown. He's Encyclopedia Brown.
0: He's not Pamphlet Brown. (laughs)
2: Exactly. (laughs) So when they get to the clubhouse, Fanshawn immediately recognizes her can and Bugs snarls. And again, he usually has some sort of fun insult here, some sort of actually good dig. But he says, look what's come down the beanstalk, make like a bumblebee and buzz off. I don't think bumblebees hang out around beanstalks. Encyclopedia Brown is not a giant. And just saying make like a bumblebee and buzz off isn't any sort of pun. I have no idea what he's going for here. (laughs) I guess bees are pollinators. A beanstalk would
1: probably need to be pollinated. But that seems like an awfully smart kind of agricultural bit of knowledge for Bugs Meany to throw out, right?
0: I do like that the bullies in this town are using their words rather than violence. They're not doing
2: it well, but at least they're trying. Right, exactly. So Encyclopedia Brown accuses Bugs of stealing the can from Fanchon. And again, Bugs with an insult that I don't get. He says, fan her head. The kid's been sniffing too many (laughs) gumdrops. Very (laughs) confused. What's also very fun is that I read these books very legally from a very legal website that turns these books into PDFs. And... Sometimes you get weird character things where instead of an apostrophe, it'll be like a pound sign or something. But in this particular case, instead of an O in gumdrops, it was an O with a umlaut out over it. Mm. So it makes me think specifically that she's been sniffing too many German gum or however you would pronounce that. Gum <laughs> uh, gumdrops. <Yeah>. <laughs> gumdrops. <laughs> So Encyclopedia Brown points to the can and says, that's Fanchon's can. And Bugs Meanie says, you must have a leak in your think tank. Back to being with some good insults. This one at least makes sense. You must have a leak in your think tank. Me and my tigers caught these fireflies ourselves he explains that everyone thinks he's this roughneck type character, but he actually loves nature deep at heart. And Encyclopedia Brown is not buying this. He's like, okay, yeah, sure. Next you're going to tell me that you caught these fireflies in the baseball stadium last night. There was a stadium at South Park. This is the same place where the Smelly Shoe competition happened. And it's completely enclosed by a wooden fence, but the gates are never locked up. But Bug smirks and says, nice try, wise guy. It was raining last night. We caught these fireflies Tuesday night, right after the girl softball doubleheader. So then Fanchon says, since when are you interested in fireflies? And Bugs Meany says that the tigers are working to save energy. They're going to turn the fireflies into a cheap light and then earn the thanks of a grateful nation, in his words. And Encyclopedia says, well, that's not going to work because the fireflies are dead. And Bugs tries to recover from this, saying that. Yeah, I know. These fireflies aren't for light. They're for research. We're studying them. We have to move carefully, step by step, like a true scientist. You know, Thomas Edison didn't invent the light bulb in a day. I don't know if he did, but maybe he stole the idea for the light bulb from Tesla in a day. So maybe that's how he did it. But Encyclopedia Brown just says, give it up, Bugs. I know that you stole the can and he's able to prove it. So I turn to the two of you. How is Encyclopedia Brown able to know that he was lying? Well, I think... With Encyclopedia Brown's
0: encyclopedic knowledge of fireflies, he knows that a softball doubleheader would have gone so long into the evening that the fireflies would have no longer been active. They would have no longer been lighting up. Mm. Therefore, they would have been impossible to catch at that hour.
1: Okay. All right. I like it. Mike, what about you? Okay. So hold on a sec. So this, I'm sorry, I have to go back
2: and unravel a couple facts. So what day is it? It is Thursday, and Bugs Meany claims that he caught them on Tuesday, not Wednesday. Because it was raining on Wednesday? Yeah, and Tuesday was the softball doubleheader.
1: When was f- the
2: French lady, when was she going to the post office? Today, Thursday. She said 10 minutes ago was when the can got stolen. Oh. So it got stolen, and she's immediately headed to Encyclopedia Brown's detective agency. Got it.
1: Okay. Boy, I'm afraid I'm at a loss here. We know he did it, but I think my only evidence is... Kind of basic. Sometimes it's simple. Come on, let's hear.
0: You don't have to commit. Let's hear your, what you're thinking.
1: My theory is that he did it because he's an asshole. Ooh. That's the only <laughs> thing I can think.
2: He just has to say that. Come on, bugs. <laughs> I like the theory, but it is a bit more complicated than that. You are both incorrect. You were close, Ian, with that. He wouldn't be able to catch a lot, but the real reason is that. Encyclopedia Brown on the bike ride over said that fireflies do mating stuff in tall grass. On a baseball field, there is no tall grass. Uh. So yeah, maybe he could have caught a couple, but not a full cans worth. And Encyclopedia Brown noted when he was describing the company that you could only send in the can when it was full. Oh. So that is how Encyclopedia Brown was able to know he was lying. My guess was like, maybe the fireflies wouldn't die over the span of two days. So he could like open the can and let's say, look, they're still alive. But yeah, it was the lack of tall grass in the stadium.
0: Now I come from a small town where the baseball fields are not well maintained, yeah. and so we would often be playing in in chest high grass out in the outfield.
2: <laughs> you played on the field of dreams where the outfield is just corn. Yeah. That's
0: your home park. <laughs> oh, see that 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 feels like the hot dog all over again. Oh no, no! I was picturing them. You know, maybe they're beyond the fence.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, me too, for sure. They said it's completely surrounded in a fence and they have the open gates. So I guess that was the justification when he said we caught them in the stadium that it was restricted to just the stadium with the short grass. I guess that's their reasoning. Yeah, okay, okay.
1: I think, Ian, we both made the mistake of kind of relating to our own personal experience with fireflies. I just get them in the backyard, right? And that's not a tall grass area. Mm -mm. It's just a regular grass area. They're all over the
2: place. Yeah. I guess my experience is just seeing them in woods, which I don't know if trees count as very tall grass in a way. Very
1: (laughs) thick grass. Thick, tall grass.
2: Hard grass, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to see you uh, grab your lawnmower and see if you can cut that grass, Mike.
2: <laughs> Try that out. See what you got, hot stuff. I'm just going to put some ornaments on my, uh, my Christmas thick grass.
0: <laughs> but, I, you know, I think if we all leave this mystery with the image of the Tigers, the only gang in town, <laughs> going out together to catch fireflies in a field, that's very beautiful. It would be nice.
2: It would be nice to see. Frolicking about. Yeah. So the score is six to five as we get into our final mystery, The Case of the Violinist's Chair. So it's Sunday afternoon. Encyclopedia Brown and Sally are at the collector's show at the Idaville Convention Center. This is a collector's show where people who collect things out of hobbies are able to sell things. So I guess it's just a flea market, but it's called the collector's show, apparently. So as they're walking through, they see their friend whose name is Faye Xaninix. Faye Xaninix, Xaninix spelled X-A-N-I-K-I-S. Just super normal names here in Idaville, Florida. Got it. She comes up and she's very upset because her antique chair was stolen by someone named Taggart Smith. Mm. So she explains what happened. She says last month she found a wooden armchair in a neighborhood trash pile. She took it home and with her father's help, restored the chair, fixed it up and put it out on her front porch. But then the next morning it was stolen and she says that she didn't see it again until today at. Taggart's booth at this convention center event, and he is trying to sell it. So she wants Encyclopedia Brown to prove that he stole it so that he can't sell it and she can get her chair back. They head on over. Sally is very upset. She doesn't like Taggart at all because he is the sixth grade bully. So we've already dealt with Tessie, the eighth grade bully. Taggart is the sixth grade bully. Sally's not a fan. Sally, it is important to note, is not only the prettiest girl in Idaville, Florida, but she's also the toughest girl in Idaville, Florida, and she has beaten up Bugs Meanie on multiple occasions. Yeah. So she's got a nasty one-two punch that she can dish out if the situation calls for it. So they head on over to Taggart's booth. He's sitting on the chair, and Sally marches straight up to him and says that Faye says the chair you're sitting on belongs to her. Taggart hops up and says, her chair? This kid needs oxygen. And Faye says, you stole it off my porch. And he says, if you wish to buy it, I'll give you a deal on the price. And Faye says, I'm not going to buy my own chair back. Give me my chair, Taggart. And she even goes on to say that I put my initials FX on the bottom of the chair. I'll show you. And she takes the chair, flips it upside down. And sure enough, it says FX on the bottom of the chair. Mm. But Taggart smiles slyly and says, those aren't your initials. The FX stands for Francis Francis. Xanathip. (laughs) Francis Xanathip, X-A-N-A-T-H-I-P-P-E. Now, the narrator, not even a character, the narrator describes Francis Xanathip. Francis Xanathip had been Idaville's finest musician. As a teenager, he had started a business clipping and cleaning the hind half of cows. Farmers disliked the job, but a state law required it be done for sanitary reasons. As he worked, Francis Xanathip hummed to himself, This began a career in music. By the age of 40, he was the first violinist in the State Symphony Orchestra. That is the backstory of Francis Xanathip. By the age of 40?
1: Yeah.
0: That seems old. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. What's the opposite of a prodigy? <laughs> 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 that that all feels like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you're 40 years old. Now you're, oh, okay. Yeah, cool. That's a nice, pretty good
2: trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> so Taggart says that this is the chair that he sat in while he practiced his violin inside his home. Apparently, he died five weeks ago and before his widow moved to Greece... She cleaned out the house and that chair just ended up in the dump. So he went to the city dump, saw this chair, he picked it up and he's going to sell it at this event. Sally says that she's never heard a worse lie and Taggart gets very upset and he says, that does it. I'm calling you out. And Sally then over-the-top bows and says, after you, and they take it outside. They go outside the convention center, and there's a legitimate fight scene between the two of them that is described in detail. They have a bit of a back-and-forth of, you know, throwing some insults at each other. Nothing incredibly cutting. But then, before the fighting begins, Sally says something rude to Taggart. Taggart roars and swings a haymaker. Sally slips it and stings him with a rap on the ear. Taggart stepped back, surprised. He went into a dance, trying to confuse her with his speed. Sally was faster. Her jab beat taps on his nose. Soon she had him wobbling around like a boy learning to walk on stilts. Curtain time, she said at last, and he fired a final one-two punch. The two punches must have felt like 10, as Taggart doubled over as if to get a closer look on the best place to land. Sally then blows on her knuckles and then leaves and then turns to Encyclopedia Brown and says, you can prove that he stole the chair, right? Ooh. And then he says... Well, of course. And then he does. But like, we've gotten a couple things of Sally beating up people, but never in such incredible detail. But apparently Encyclopedia Brown knows what's up. So I turned it over to the two of you. Ah,
0: uh, that was thrilling.
2: I know, right? Yeah. It's incredible stuff. Good work, Mike. That you really saved the best or most thrilling mystery for the last one. That was good. Trying to end us on a on a thrillingest of notes. And I did put the hardest one third so that we didn't end on a sour note of, oh, tall grass, fireflies, womp wom. Anyway, thanks yeah. for listening. <laughs> So my theory is
1: that Francis Xanathip's wife murdered him <laughs> before moving to Greece where there's no extradition, which Encyclopedia would know immediately. Mm-hmm. That's no, I don't, I'm not going to think that's right.
2: That's pretty good, though. I like it. It goes in line with our cocaine clay pot mystery from before.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. All right. So the initials are the key to unraveling this
2: mystery. Mm-hmm. They are a factor. Uh-huh. Encyclopedia Brown at least knows that it's not Xanathip's chair. In the solution, they don't disqualify any element of the Francis Xanathip story, since it was told from the narrator and not Taggart. So all Taggart said is that this is his chair that he practiced the violin on indoors, this armchair with like a cushion on on the seat and the two arms. That's what the illustration in the book looks like. So all we know from Taggart is that he says it belonged to this guy, and this is the chair that he would practice his violin in. Everything else about cow clippings and becoming an anti-prodigy is legitimate and canon, according to the Narrator. those are not false got it but anything taggart said is up for grabs i'm i'm gonna say wouldn't somebody with the
0: slow blooming talent to rise to the ranks of the florida state symphony <laughs> wouldn't that person practice standing up mm.
1: that's yeah that's the that's the it's so basic you're absolutely right ian
0: also it'd be weird that Faye. Xanak, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Xanicus. Faye Xanakus and Francis Xanathip. <laughs> It'd be weird she would know that there were initials under that chair if it wasn't her own. Because it came straight from the dump. Mm-hmm. From the city
2: dump, apparently.
1: I think Ian's absolutely right. You practice the violin standing up. You don't sit down to do it. It's a bad lie. And I just, I still feel bad for Francis Xanathip's wife whose name gets dragged through the
2: mud. Just a month, though, really. Just over a month since his passing. I am happy to say, Ian, you were correct. That is what it is. Yes. So that was part of it. But if you were to practice sitting down, you couldn't use an armchair because Uh, the arms would get in the way. Yeah. So if you were to practice sitting, it would need to be something that didn't have arms. But Mike, I did give you a bonus point for saying that it was the wife who did it and then murdered him and fled to Greece. (laughs) Very fun. It did make the score very close, but Ian, you barely edged out. You've won this episode eight to seven, earning money for Water Drop LA. How does it feel to come from behind at the end and snatch victory from the claws of defeat? It feels really good. I also, I would have preferred if there was a murder. Um, <laughs> so I'm
0: sad that that wasn't the case. I also, I think the format of your game where the winnings go to charity is really wonderful. But I also feel like I just stole <laughs> from the Susan B. Komen <laughs> Foundation, which feels awful.
2: Yeah, you did. So could we split it? Could we split it? You know, I, there's no hard and fast rules. If you want to split it, if that's how you feel, I'm happy to do that for the first time in meddling adults history. Oh, way to go! Let's go fifty-one forty-nine.
1: Fifty-one for me? No, no, no. <laughs> so
2: I still win a little bit. Oh, all right. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, we'll, we'll go fifty-one forty-nine in favor of Water Drop LA. So we're we're still giving money to the Susan Coden Breast Cancer Foundation. Look at that. Everyone wins, but Ian wins just ever so slightly more. Except Mike. <laughs> no,
1: <sorry. laughs> Ian, I want to give you credit. Ian, you remind me of a young... Sorry, hold on. Let me check my (laughs) notes. Your come-from-behind victory really reminds me of a young Tessie Bottoms who also (laughs) came in second place. Never mind. You remind
0: me of a... A 38-year-old Francis Xanathip who was just years away <laughs> from learning to play the violin,
2: on the cusp of <laughs> greatness. Oh man! Well, Ian and Mike, thank you so much for joining. This was a complete joy. I mentioned the tragically defunct thank podcast you. of How to Do Everything, which I highly do recommend. But if you would like to promote things that are currently alive, uh, huh? Huh? Ian, hey, all is right. there anything you would like to tell people to listen to that is ongoing? Yeah, I have. A, I have another
0: podcast called Everything Is Alive where i interview inanimate objects and uh mike danforth once appeared in an ad on that show so yeah
1: that's great i would like to split my bit of self-promotion and give that to ian (laughs) and also talk about his podcast everything is alive what a great show Congratulations, Ian.
2: (laughs) Man, well, this is great. Thank you guys for joining. You can listen to Everything is Alive wherever pods are cast. But I got to say, this was a very, very solid episode. You guys were on top of the ball, and clearly you're two very competent and sleuthy meddling adults. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Maayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campomanas and Brandon Grugel. And the website is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you're enjoying the show, if you could tell someone about it or leave a rating online or post about it on social media, all of those things would help. And if you want to help the show monetarily, you want to help us raise more money for charity, you can do that in a number of ways. The first of which is heading over to patreon.com meddling meddlingadults. You can join and give to us monthly. We'll put your name on the website. We'll give you bonus audio. You'll get access to episodes earlier than the public. All sorts of fun stuff lives there at patreon.com meddling meddlingadults. But if you can't give monthly and you still want to give, you can do so at paypal.me slash meddlingadults and you can give a one-time donation. If you want to follow the show on social social media, you can do so at Meddling Adults on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can go to reddit.com r slash meddlingadults. Our website, meddlingadults.com, has more information about the show itself. We'll also soon be adding more information about all of the money that we've raised over the course of these seasons. And finally, thank you to Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you want to listen to some other podcasts, maybe the ones that I work on, like Potterless or Horse, or all the other shows, you can check all of that out at multitude.productions. Thanks again so much for listening. Make sure you are subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app so that you don't miss a single episode. And that next episode will be coming out next Wednesday. So we'll see you there for the next episode of Meddling Adults.